0: And we're in this series, we're wrapping up today, called The Holy Spirit. And we've been looking at different teachings of Jesus on the role of the third person of the Trinity. And this morning, what I want to do is look at some teachings of Jesus under this banner. The outflow of the Spirit. Because there is an outflow to this Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit-directed life. And Jesus gave his earliest followers a little preview of what this outflow was going to look like. So if you haven't already done so, pull out your note sheet and follow along with me up here on the screen as well. So Jesus been crucified, buried, raised. His disciples are huddled up in Jerusalem behind some locked doors because they're quite fearful that what just happened to Jesus might happen to them. So they're still trying to wrap their minds and hearts around everything that they have just seen. Jesus walks into the room without opening the door. That should be a unique day for them, right? So then in verse 21, he says to them, peace be with you as their jaws are on the floor. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here's a picture you get. Jesus was sent by the Father on a mission that was distinctively others-oriented. So there's a missional element to the sending of Jesus into this world, which one of the DL 12 verses all the kids will be memorizing. John 3, 16, for God so loved the... World that he gave his only begotten son. The father always had in mind an others oriented mission for the son. That's why Mark chapter 10, I put in your notes verse 45 even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was sent here for the sake of others. And there's a song being sung around the throne of the Lamb of God this very hour. And here's some of the lyrics of the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That song just keeps going on and on. So the Father sent the Son with a mission. Hear this now in John 20 the son sends out his followers to complete the mission. Just like the father sent the son on the mission, the son now commissions his followers to complete that which the father initiated in and through him, which means this. It means the the option, I don't care if it doesn't affect me, is removed from the Christian life. The moment you get linked up with Jesus, the moment you take on the yoke of Jesus The whole option of, I don't care if this doesn't affect me, is no longer on the table. So a neighbor down the street who you know is going through an especially tough time, or the coworker who's going through a divorce, or a classmate that can't make good friends, or the inner city of Indianapolis who struggles with all the dynamics in inner city Indianapolis, or as we heard last week, The country of Tunisia where the church is literally non-existent. The option for followers of Jesus not to care about those things is removed. The moment you're yoked up with him. Why? Because you're yoked up with a Savior who was sent on a mission for the sake of others and has commissioned us as his followers to complete it. And so what I wanna look at this morning is what are the promises Jesus gives us in joining him in completing the mission the Father sent for us? And there's some pretty amazing promises. And the first one is in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, up here on the screen. Jesus came to them, closing words of Matthew's gospel, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, underline that, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what's the scope of the mission? The scope of the mission is 195 nations, 16,000 people groups. Go into all the world. That's the scope of the mission. Of the mission that the Father sent the Son, and the Son commissions us as His followers to complete. The scope 195 nations, 16,000 people groups. But what's the outcome of the mission? It's people living everyday life with Jesus. And then what's the way the mission is accomplished? It's those who have found new life in Christ, helping others find that life. And then what's the promise? In this mission, the promise is, I'll be with you. Do you see this? So the scope of the mission is the whole world, 195 nations, 16,000 people groups. But the outcome of the mission is what? When he said, go and make disciples. So it's like this, what I hear in Jesus' words here at the end of his gospel, of Matthew's gospel, I hear, Simpson, don't make this thing too complicated. Here's what you're supposed to be doing. Be a disciple, make disciples. Playing Pastor Obvious, I guess, this moment. Live everyday life with me. Help others do that. Everywhere. In your neighborhood and the nations. Let's not overcomplicate this deal. Be a disciple. Make disciples. Live everyday life with Jesus and help whomever needs help doing that. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You say, If you were to ask, well, what's what's Eagle Church all about? Or the question that often comes into a lead pastor's desk is, what's your vision for Eagle Church? I like to pause at that point and say, it's actually, has nothing to do with my vision for the church. Because Jesus didn't leave his vision for his bride, something we go off on a retreat and spend a weekend on a whiteboard. He didn't leave it for that. He made it pretty clear. I think he made it really clear That any healthy local church, I'm talking in biggest picture sense here, here's what we're doing as a local church. We're living everyday life with Jesus. That's what we're doing. And we're helping others do that. We're being disciples and making disciples. It's not about what my vision or our vision, it's not about Eagle's vision or our vision. It's Jesus' vision for Jesus' church. This is his bride. This is his mission that the Father sent him on when he came and gave his life for, and he's got skin in the game. He laid down his life for this mission, and then he says to us who choose to follow him, you're automatically drafted into it. You don't get to vote on this one. This is not an American way, I get it, but this is really important in following Jesus. He doesn't ask us to vote on this. He just says, hey, if you wanna take up my yoke, here's what we're gonna do. 195 nations, 16,000 people groups, there's your scope. Plenty to be done. And then exactly what is it we're doing in these 195 nations and 16,000 people groups? You're living everyday life with Jesus in that setting and you're helping people do that. You're being a disciple and you're making disciples. And then the promise is what? You're not gonna do this alone. How amazing is his closing words of Matthew's gospel? I'll be with you, always. Anybody ever tried to white knuckle it in living the Christian life. It doesn't work very well. Like you try really, really hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live everyday life with Jesus and I'm gonna do it in my own wisdom and strength, and that lasts maybe 24 to 48 hours, and then we're falling on our face again. And... Or have you ever tried to white knuckle it and trying to help someone else live everyday life with Jesus? Man, that's exhausting. Where you just wanna kind of grab them, right? You just want to shake them a little bit and say, hey, get it, wake up. See this life available to you. Look at this grace. Look at this life. And you just want to, ah, how are they not getting it? Anybody tried to white knuckle that way? It doesn't work very well. Here's a wonderful thing about joining Jesus on his mission. The burden of outcome is not on our shoulders. This is why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because what's our role? Our role is to live everyday life with him. we got to be a disciple. You can't make disciples if you aren't a disciple. You can't lead someone to any place that you yourself aren't living. So the first and foremost is be a disciple. I remember the story of John Ortberg. You may recognize his name. We got a life group in a class going on Sunday mornings where they're doing a study of Ortberg's. When he took the senior pastor role at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, Presbyterian Church in San Francisco Bay Area, he called his good friend and mentor Dallas Willard. This is, I don't know, a decade plus ago. And he said, hey Dallas, could you just kind of give me some counsel here? John had been a teaching pastor, kind of associate pastor role for the rest of his ministry run until this was his first step into a lead pastor. And he just thought Dallas could give him some guidance and input on, hey, in this transition, what are the things I need to keep at the forefront? Like keep right number one top of the stack. And he had his pen out and his paper ready. And Dallas said, here's the quote. I put it in your notes. Here's what Dallas said to him. Said, John, you must arrange your life so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. He said, John, if you do, just, if you do that, everything else is going to be fine. Two and a half years ago, I had the privilege of meeting John Ortberg for the first time. And I had just taken the role here as a lead pastor. And so guess what question I asked him? Same thing he asked Dallas. Guess what response he gave me? Same thing Dallas gave him. I have this quote on my desk in my office that, Eric, you must arrange your life in such a way that you're experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. That's just a modern day kind of rendition of what Jesus said in Luke 10 to his followers. The great commandment, it's just, Dallas is simply saying to John, John is simply saying to me, I'm saying to you today, it's what Jesus said in Luke 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be a disciple, number one. If you're to hang out at Eagle Church staff meetings over the last few months, the staff is hearing consistently from me when we gather, hey, if you wondered when you're driving to work today, like what's the number one responsibility? What's top of the stack on your job description? What's the number one thing you're bringing to your work today? I have said repeatedly, and will continue to say, live everyday life with Jesus. First and foremost is, be a disciple. For me too. Be a disciple, and then help others do that. That's what we're doing. And I extend that out to all of us. That's what we're doing. Do you know that's what Sunday mornings are about? Like, you ever step back and thought, this is a unique thing that goes on. We gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. from all different walks of life, And we do what? Well, hopefully, this gathering is forwarding the joining of Jesus' mission in this world by helping us be disciples and then extending out to helping others be a disciple. Like, you wanna know, why did we revamp all the children's ministry over this last year and kind of rework all the curriculum? What was all that about? It's helping our kids at the youngest possible age connect and live everyday life with Jesus. And then helping them learn that they're gonna reach out to their friends and help their friends do that. And why do we spend all this time and energy reworking the loft and hiring student ministry staff and pouring into middle school and high school students? It's for this purpose. Because we wanna help middle schoolers and high schoolers, what, live everyday life with Jesus in the midst of all the dynamics that are pressing in against teenagers today. Live with Jesus. And then what? And then help them see, help others do that. Be a disciple, make disciples. That's what life groups are about. That's what classes are about. That's what worship services are about. That's what when the church gathers and is working on church office stuff during the week, whether it's the accounting office or Carl with building and grounds or Justin with worship ministry, all of that is what? What are we doing together? We're living everyday life with Jesus and we're helping others do that. Let's not overcomplicate this deal. And everything's got to align around that. And then we release the burden of outcomes because Jesus says, it's not all on you. Because guess what? I'm with you. I'll join you in that mission. How great is that? The resurrected Christ joins us in his mission. Ha, that ought to encourage some of us who feel like we're hitting a brick wall, perhaps in a mission step in your own life. Maybe you've got a loved one, friend, coworker, family member, and you're trying to help them make some turn in their life. Go the right direction, go the Jesus way, and you feel like yeah, it's just not going anyway, but the opposite way. Here's the thing the resurrected Christ is at work with you. Huh. So there's a whole lot more going on than you would have imagined. And I'm so glad some people didn't give up on me. Aren't you glad some people didn't give up on you? Do you know every single one of us is here because someone along the way who was living everyday life with Jesus reached out to us and helped us figure this out? Do you know that? That's one of the reasons we're here. Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you're here because someone in the blue chair beside you said, hey, I want you to come. And behind that invitation is I want you to come and experience this life that I found. And moms, I can't think of a better commissioning for you today than this thought, that this is your number one job as a mom. Do you know more important than helping them get their homework done? Do you know more important than how skilled they will be at whatever travel soccer or travel little league or whatever other sport they're gonna play, as good as those things are, do you know what's even better than that? Do you know the one thing that's gonna outlive all those travel sports and all those academic whatevers? Do you know what's gonna outlive that? Is the character of the young lives you're raising up. Do you know at the end of their life they're gonna stand before God and what are they gonna have? They're not gonna have all their trophies, they're not gonna have all their degrees no matter how many letters are behind their name. Do you know what they're gonna have? The kind of person they've become. Do you know, or primarily they're learning it in their formative ages is through moms and dads and parents who are doing what? Living everyday life with Jesus and helping their kids do that. Mom, if you don't hear anything else out of today, I hope you go out with a fresh wind in your sails to be a disciple and to help those under your roof do that very thing. That's what we're doing. And we're here to help each other and encourage each other and pray for each other and remind each other we're not crazy for doing this. This is hard stuff. It's not easy. When you read the Bible, you go, actually the forces of hell are all aligned against us in this mission. If you wonder why it's tough sledding. But we don't need to live in fear of that because Jesus says, guess what? I get the last word. Trump card says we win in the end. Woo, I want to be on that team. Stay with it. Don't give up. Persevere. Keep at it even when the kids go way off the reservation and moms fall to their knees and go, oh Lord, stay at it. There's some grandmas in the room, got some great testimonies in this room right now because you're seated in a row with a child whom you know used to be a long way from this seat. You following me? And your testimony is, hey, Jesus said, I'll be with you. So the scope of the mission 195 nations, 16,000 people groups. There's a lot to get done. The outcome of the nation is people living everyday life with him. What an unbelievable invitation. This is the kind of life you can have. You can live your life with Jesus, in Jesus, for Jesus, and through Jesus. You can live everyday moments with him. And then the way this mission is accomplished is those of you who are doing that you reach out and help others find the new life you found. And the promise is this, I'll be with you. And here's the connect to the Holy Spirit. How is he with us? The Holy Spirit. That's why he kept telling his followers, hey, it's really, really good that I'm physically around you and you're all happy that I'm physically here, but it's gonna be even better when I exit because when I exit, the Spirit enters and that's gonna be great, good day, happy day, big day. That's what he was saying to him. John 14, John 15, John 16, John 20. Now he says, hey, I'm here. Peace be with you. I know you're all freaked out. Peace be with you. I'm sending you out now on a mission. That will be, ho. Oh, when they just sent him out on a mission, he's bloodied and crucified and all that. You're going out into that mission field, and I'll be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. So the spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-directed life has an outflow to an others-orientation mission. And it's not something we get to vote on. You just draft it into it. This is the mission that we were brought into when we said yes to Jesus. Which is why, second part of the promise, Acts 1, he says to his followers, right? Right before he ascends, this is before his big exit. Verse 4 do not leave Jerusalem. Why would they want to stay in Jerusalem? They would have been pretty motivated to stay put there because they thought if they go out much beyond their own little huddled up group, it's probably going to get pretty tough. So he's saying, hey, stay right there until when? Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Verse 8. Or no, verse five, for when John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then verse eight, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the first promise is I'll be with you. The promise here from Acts one is I will empower you. How great is this? The fuel for living the Christian life isn't something we have to muster up in our own wisdom and strength. It's not just like, oh, Now, our life's involved, and I'll get to that in a minute. We've got a part of this. But at the core of it, there's this life that comes in from beyond us that's an empowerment and a fuel and a strengthening to participate in this. This is why Paul would write to the Corinthian church, I labor in the energy of the Holy Spirit. What's he talking about? There's an empowerment that comes when the Spirit of Christ comes to live within you as a Christian. I like to think of it like a glass of water, in order for a full glass of water to receive any new elements into that glass, do you know you gotta empty the glass out a bit? You need to empty it a little bit in order for it to be filled up with something else. And so this is the picture you get of this self-life, Christ life. You pour out the self-life, the glass gets a little lower that way from the self-life. My preferences, my ways, my dreams, my hopes, my plans go down, 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 down in the glass and then that becomes the precursor for the filling up of Christ's life by the Holy Spirit. Less of me, more of him. So you pour out the self-life and the Holy Spirit pours in his life, his power, his strength. And that's where you get the propelling work of the Spirit. That's how, that's how Daryl and Cheryl Fennessy could stand before us 33 years on mission doing what they've been doing. So many of us sat there and thought, a 10-year-old baby evac out of Beirut? Seriously? And then you sit with Cheryl and you find out that's actually one of about 10 different times the family was evac out of all these kinds of situations with small children and death threats. And I sat with Cheryl and I heard her say, said, you know what, Eric, I resolved in the middle of the night, that first night, when her firstborn son was 10 days old, I just resolved that I'm gonna die tonight. And I was okay. I was scared for sure, but you know what? I was huddled up with my baby and the bombs were going and the glass was falling and we're just huddled up. And I was thought, I'm gonna die tonight. And she said she woke up the next morning and she said first thought was, I didn't die. That God's got something else for me. And she said, God's used that, experience. Then The next time she hit a place similar to that, guess what? The spirit who had propelled her through that moment, the spirit continues to propel her. Do you think some self-light got dumped out of that glass on that night in Beirut when those bombs were dropping? Do you see how then in our lives, those dry seasons, those wilderness times, those I don't know if I can get through what I'm going through, the God what's up with that times, the God I just can't take anymore. Those stretches of life that we all hit, and if you're not there, just keep living, they're coming. Do you know what those stretches are all about? It's about getting the glass a little more emptied out of the self life And do you know then, often that becomes the ingredients for a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led. There's kind of a propelling work that happens right on the backside of those wilderness and dry and gut-wrenching times. How does that happen? Because the glass gets emptied out a little more. And when you're emptied out more, Christ's life comes in all the more. There's this empowerment. Early disciples, Acts 1, huddled up. Wait, they waited 10 days. That was a long 10 days. They were probably ready for something. That, wait, what are we waiting for? Jesus just said to wait. Spirit comes, Acts 2, day of Pentecost. And then the rest of the book of Acts, as we studied last year, is this outward movement of what? A group of people joining Jesus on mission to the ends of the earth. That's what the whole book of Acts says unveils. And the spirit is central to all of that, empowering them, strengthening them, equipping them. And then First Corinthians 12, this gives the equipping aspect to it. Look what Paul says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. There are certain different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to teach, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives you certain spiritual gifts. That happens at the moment you become born again and the Spirit comes to live within you. You receive certain spiritual gifts. And the metaphor he uses in 1 Corinthians 12 is of a human body. He says, think of it like a body, a hand and a foot and a leg and an arm, how they're all interconnected and interdependent but unique and have their own role. He tells us as people in the body of Christ under one head who is Christ, he says, hey, Jesus is the head. We're all parts of the body. Everybody has a different role. There's a diversity to the body. And here's the key. Not one part is more honorable or important than the other. And all you have to do is have like a ingrown toenail to realize how important that little member of your body is to the functioning of the rest of your body. Have you ever noticed this? And when I interact with physicians, they always remind me of this. A doctor will talk often about how one small segment of this physical body is so interconnected to all the other parts and affects everything else. That's why Paul would use it as a a metaphor for how this works in the Christian life. So in the body of Christ, we have people who were given musical gifts beyond just their talents Then there's spirit-empowered musical gifts to help lead us in worship. And we have people with technical gifts who help keep things running so well around here. And then we have people with administration gifts who kind of organize things and, and leadership gifts who provide guidance. And then you've got hospitality and mercy and teaching gifts. And, and last week from Daryl and Cheryl, you heard apostolic gifts, people who go into new territories and start new things with great risk. What is all that? It's kind of apostolic gifts. You have this diversity of giftedness. And here's the key point in all this. The Spirit will equip you with gifts. Not one is more important or more honorable, honorable than the other. So Petula Meyer serving today in Sarajevo, Bosnia is not more important or more honorable than Vonda Benson and Polly Locks going up to the prayer room every Sunday morning at nine o'clock and praying for revival and awakening and renewal in our nation, in our city, in our church, which by the way, you can join them any Sunday morning at nine o'clock. They're up there, they're praying. Do you know that that's their part of the body? And Petula, they're, they're equal, Equally honorable to what Petula's doing. Like what Dave and Don Rose are doing in leading Indiana Teen Challenge Houses all through central Indiana and helping young people get back on their feet again. Do you know that what they're doing is no more important or more honorable than Bob and Carol Johansson showing up in the church office every Friday and putting the note sheets and bulletins together that are handed to you on the way in on Sunday? Or what Allie King is doing, leading Youth for Christ and all the multifaceted ministries that she's leading and great impact that she and her staff are having. Do you know that that, her role is no more important or more valuable or more honorable than the family here who I've known for decades, who's given the spiritual gift of giving and has written check after check in complete obscurity? No one knows their names. Do you know that in the body of Christ, both of those are equally important, equally valuable? That's how the body works together. Which two obvious questions as we bring all this together and wrap it up is what? Do I know what my spiritual gifts are? And am I using them to serve and join Jesus' others oriented mission in this world? Because that's why they're given. They're not given for you just to kind of discover, unwrap, and hang out and just look at, they're given for us to join and participate in something. And so I put on your note sheet, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you know there's a free online gifts test you can take. You can read about the Spirit, different gifts, and you can take a test that's not necessarily gospel truth that you took the test. It'll give you some guidance. It'll give you a starting point. Have a conversation with people who know you well and say, hey, this is what the gifts test says about me. Does that line up with what you know about me? And that'll help. Help bring some, and then step out and try some things, right? you Start serving, start doing something, start using the gifts, see what happens. Get some feedback, adjust. And I put on your notes, once you discover some of your gifts, they're to be deployed and used. And it could be as simple as right around here in our own local church, I put on your note sheet, just some easy kind of first serve things around here. Do you know when you walk in church, some of you have said to me before, it just seems like everything's running so well around here, surely you don't need any more hands. Do you know, I can assure you that there's not one single area of ministry in this local church that couldn't use one more pair of hands that simply said, hey, how can I help? Every single one. It's great credit to those who are serving that you have that impression that things are running so well. All you need to do is walk up to anybody in a serving role and say, hey, could you use another set of hands? I bet you'll hear, yes. Would you like to jump in and be a part Simple things, right? Ushers, greeters, coffee bar, tech team, all these guys who show up in here at 7, 30 on a Sunday morning and make sure all the technical stuff runs. Building and grounds. This time of year, grass is growing. They're cutting grass every three days out here. 79 acres of grass. You think Carl could use some help? He's got those cool Dixie chopper mowers too. If you ever wanted to like sit on one of those, you're like, hey, I always wanted to like test drive one of those. He's got a couple of those. Come out, sit, mow some grass, have a good time. Landscaping work. Do you think 82,000 square foot building, you think Carl and his team could use another pair of hands changing light bulbs and fixing up all random things around here? There's plenty of places to jump in. Or beyond our own local walls, I put on your list, what about just stepping out beyond the walls of Eagle? How about Adam Talon and what's going on at Indie Alliance in the inner city? Maybe you have a burden to help out down there. Do you think he's got some things going on that could use some pairs of hands? Or how about talking with Allie King at Youth for Christ or talk to Paul and Kate Keller at the Crescent Project? or talk to um, Dave and Don Rose at Teen Challenge, or get connected to Habitat for Humanity. We're gonna help build a house with Whitestown this year to help some needy families. There's all kinds of places to jump in. Joining an others-oriented mission to serve. The last area I put on there was the Christian Missionary Alliance website. Did you know cmalliance.org slash serve? Do you know that there's a 100 open positions all around the globe listed out there on the website? You have that slide up there, Alicia? So it's a picture, right? There, you can just go to cmalliance.org/slash serve. Do you know you go out there and you say, Did you know they need music, English, and art teachers in Asia? I didn't know that. You go there short-term, long-term, help teach music, English, and art. You didn't think you lead a sports ministry in Indonesia? Do you know Jesus Mission needs a sports ministry in Indonesia needs some help leading that? I didn't know that. How about a guest house in Bangkok, Thailand? How about running a coffee shop or a fitness center in Tunisia? How about nurses and doctors and pediatricians needed in Gabon, West Africa? And on and on and on it goes. You just click on that and then it has a little job description, a little overview and some contact info. My point in all this is, I think the whole concept of bored Christian is an oxymoron. I think bored Christian is like flaming snowflake. I think bored Christian is like online gym which I learned this year is an actual reality because I heard my ninth grader, Lily, saying, hey, Dad, I'm gonna register for online gym this summer. I go, wait, 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 say that a little bit slower for me. I have to say that in my house a little bit often because the household full of ladies, I say, hey, could you just pace it down a little bit? Help me, I wanna follow you here. Dad, I need to register for online gym. I said, Lily, help me understand this. Help me understand how the phys ed... (laughs) <laughs> Anybody else with me here? Am I the only one thinking? This is it crazy. I'm sure you school administrators can explain this to me, but online gym, flaming snowflake, bored Christian. I think bored Christian is code for unengaged, uninvolved. I haven't met a Christian who's really bored, who's got their hands on the plow and is on the front line of Jesus' work in this world. That could be in your neighborhood or the nations and everywhere in between. Because there's so much to be done. When I hang out with Daryl and Cheryl Fennessy for a weekend, I go, Lord, there's so many things. It was wonderful sitting with 22 young adults last Sunday night, and just to see these young lives at formative stages, making big decisions with their careers, and where they're headed, to sit with the Fennessys, and for the Fennessys to look at them and say, hey, why don't you get engaged with us here, or here, or here, and one of them, gonna go to Cambodia, who two weeks ago wasn't gonna go to Cambodia. How cool is that? Because when you're a young adult that way in your 20s, you can't kind of just uproot on a dime at times and join into something like that's a cool thing. I don't think she'll be bored after she comes back from that experience. I don't think she'll be wondering, I wonder if there's something I should do that like moves this along anymore. My point is this, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? If not, spend some time discovering them. Have some conversations about it. Get some help. Talk to an elder, talk to a life group leader, talk to a pastor, figure out what they are. And then what? Get engaged. Roll up your sleeves. Don't just sit around and just kind of, you know, just ticking off the weeks. Because you're missing out on what? On the core mission of when you got yoked up to Jesus. Do you know you didn't get yoked up to Jesus just to hang out in whatever local church settings or whatever Bible studies until he returns? That's not what he actually was thinking. He was thinking you're gonna to come to Bible studies and churches and small groups and life groups and you're gonna get equipped and you're gonna get it trained on what? Living everyday life with him. And you're gonna help others do that because the scope of the mission, the scope of the mission is big, gang. 195 nations, 16,000 people groups. Do you know that this morning, 4,000 people groups, hundreds and millions of people today are living in places where there's little or zero access to this wonderful message of new life in Christ that we've all experienced and we've all heard multiple times. Do you know there's places on the globe, hundreds and millions, zero, or very, very little access? Like when the Phenesis said there's a city in Tunisia, 180,000, not one known believer there. Does anybody else feel, the option not to care about that, that was taken off the table when Jesus gave his life, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and sent the Spirit and you said yes to him, the option not to care is off the table. So the question then moves from, I'm not gonna care, not gonna be engaged to, how do you want me to care? How do you want me to be engaged? Open hands, open hearts, here I am. My preferences, my plans, my dreams, my hopes. Glass on the water goes down, down, down. Fill it up with your spirit. When the spirit fills up, guess what the spirit's gonna do? Manifest, work, push, open your eyes, see, have a heart, burden. You're not gonna be able to sleep at night over some things. Things that didn't used to bother you really start bothering you. Things you used to ignore, you can't ignore anymore. What is all that about? That's spirit-lived, spirit-filled, spirit-directed. That's the outflow of the spirit. And gang, that's normal Christian life. That's not graduate school Christianity stuff. That's just, you get yoked up with him, you start joining him in his mission because the scope is the whole world. The outcome is people living everyday life with him. The way this happens, those who found new life help others find it. And the promise is this. I'll be with you, Matthew 28. I'll empower you, Acts chapter one and I'll equip you, 1 Corinthians 12. And then at the end of the day, when all that stuff starts happening and we see all these things springing up in our neighborhoods and the nations, who gets all the glory? The one who initiated the mission in the first place, the one who sent the spirit to empower and equip, the one who's carrying us along, he gets all the glory. Let's pray. So Father, I'm challenged afresh personally, just to lay my life down and say, Lord, what in the world am I doing? And what are these, however many days you give us on this earth, what do you want them invested for? What do you want us involved in? Thank you that you sent your spirit. Thank you that you gave your life. Thank you that we're here as an example. Someone reached out to us, someone helped us, and now you're asking this. Now the spirit is moving in our hearts to say, we do the same, we just extend a hand to someone else. And we say, hey, come, come and meet this Jesus I know. Come, let me help you. And whether that's here, whether that's in our own city, whether that's in this nation, whether it's in the nations, God, we just covenant obedience on the front end. That's our prayer today. We'll say on the front end, yes, Lord, and we won't negotiate obedience after we get clarity on the leading. We covenant obedience now. Lord, we'll just say yes, We say, here we are, we'll be a disciple, we'll help make disciples wherever you want, send us out. You say where, you give guidance, we'll go. We covenant yes on the front end. And then we covenant all glory, honor, and praise to your name for everything that happens and springs forth. Thank you for so many in this room and so many who'll be listening to this through the week who faithfully give and serve. Selflessly and sacrificially week after week. Thank you for the example they are for selflessly joining this others-oriented mission. Thank you that of all the things we could be doing with our life today, of all the things moms could be doing with their life today, thank you that you stepped in, Jesus. Hey, moms, join me in this. Let's raise up a whole generation of kids who will say yes to this purpose.